Hey there, movie fans. This is Pete from Box Office 30 Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to mention our sponsor for this episode, HalloweenCostumes.com. What a great website. We're coming up in the Halloween season here. If you're a big movie fan, this is a great place to get some serious movie costumes. I was just taking a look through the homepage and just on the homepage alone, I see Jurassic Park, League of Their Own, Ghostbusters, Alice in Wonderland, Avengers, Harry Potter, Scooby-Doo. I mean, they've got a little bit of everything. I see Harley Quinn, great stuff available from this website. So please head on over, take a look. We have a promo code available for you to use. Check this, 20% off of one item, one use per customer, valid through November 6th. If you want to take advantage of this, use our promo code TRNHalloween2021. I'll also put a link in the show notes for this episode. Again, you can't beat the website, you can't beat the costumes. Go check it out, HalloweenCostumes.com. a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30. It's like a road that you travel along There's one day here and the next day gone Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand Sometimes you turn your back to the wind There's a world outside every darkened door Where blues won't haunt you anymore Where the brave are free and lovers soar Come ride with me to the distant shore we won't hesitate to break down the garden gate. There's not much time left today. Welcome to the 30th episode of what? Box Office 30. I know. Really? When did this happen? My name is Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy, Michael. Yep. You We're like this? ESPN 30 for 30 here. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> A number that would normally have no significance, and yet it does just because of the name. <laughs> Felt I should point that out. <laughs> yes, exactly. No relation. Please don't sue us, ESPN. Please. <laughs> yeah, I was just like I was putting the episode together, and, and now that we kind of renumbered them and, and are doing them like in that order, I was looking at it. I'm like, hey, thirty. That's in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's, I'd throw that one out there. Well, we are are back with our review. And boy, do we have a, a good movie for you tonight. I actually wrote a little, a little like uh, movie voice intro for us here. Okay. I indulge. Please, please do. A young womanizing hotshot is headed to California with dreams of money, fame, women, and the promise of living the high life. He's a loner and the best at what he does. But due to an accident on his cross-country road trip, he ends up stuck in a small town until he can make up for the damage he caused with community service. He'll meet the eccentric characters who live in the town, 
find a mentor in and learn a little humility from the town doctor, fall for a girl who also doesn't really belong among the small town folks, and ultimately realize what's important to him in life, all in just one week. Only after making it to California and seeing what a new job might really mean for him, he returns to the small town and the people he's come to care for after all. Welcome to our review of Cars. I, I mean, Doc Hollywood. Sorry, we're doing Doc Hollywood, not Cars. <laughs> or are we? I don't know. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I did not have time to rewatch Cars to compare them. And I'm, I'm mad at myself. For, for this <laughs> well, I, I watched Doc Hollywood and I did the notes as, as is tradition. And... Uh, I was sitting there, what was it, I guess yesterday or something like that, and, like, the kids wanted to put something on, and, like, I was, like, flicking through, and I'm like, all right, we've seen Frozen 2 8 billion times. Um, what else? Can it I is better than Frozen there? 1, I'm not going to lie. Here's the suggested thing right at the top of the page in Disney+, Plus, but Cars. So I was like, <laughs> all right, we're watching Cars, kids. <laughs> so I, I was re-watching Cars, and I was writing that as I was watching Cars, because I was like, damn, this really is the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in so many ways... It is, and in a lot more ways, it isn't. Um, and and we'll get into that maybe a little bit later in this, but uh, I know it's been pointed out by some of the fans of our show a few times, uh, the similarities between the two. So it, I'm sure it will come up several times during the course of our discussing this tonight. But my goodness, like red car, <laughs> red <Yes>. car, <laughs> you know, like. I, I, I will say. California I, trip, California. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I didn't remember is that Lightning McQueen is literally traveling to California for the Piston Cup race. Is he really? Yes. <laughs> that's funny. That's weird. Yeah. I, I will say I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And not for Michael J. Fox, but for the ensemble of people <laughs> that are around him. Like, he's charming in his own way. But like everybody else that that takes up this world is so funny and and charming and and genuinely likable. And there's so many recognizable faces in this movie that you're just like, oh, I love him. I love him. He's great. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the ensemble that they put together for this is good. I feel like fine about this movie like i it's not a what about bob for me like i wasn't like oh my god when is it gonna end or whatever but i was definitely i don't know like you know i'm a huge back to the future person i love Mm -hmm. michael j fox as marty mcfly and i i was feeling like you know i mean it's not exactly the exact same time period uh, but i was just like i don't know like this character just doesn't sing to me like that one does so so here's the thing about that right I got the same feeling like this doesn't feel like it should have been a role for Michael J. Fox. This should have been a role for somebody else, maybe like a Charlie Sheen or something like that, who can be this kind of sleazy guy, you but still be charming. My head, and I have no idea why he just dropped into my head. It's Christian Slater. Christian Slater would have been <laughs> another good one. Like, I I don't know if this was the right role for Michael J. Fox, and I'm almost curious if if he wasn't the original person in mind for this movie. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't look deep enough this time to see if there was any interesting uh, side notes about it or whatever like that. But he's not bad in the part. It's just that for some reason, like you know, 
Alex P. Keaton, he's such like a lovable guy in so many other right. roles. And maybe it's part and parcel with what this role is that like for so much of the movie, he's just kind of a jerk, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, you just kind of like, don't like him. And so again, that always comes around, you know, full circle to like, oh, well maybe he did such a good job that I'm feeling this way about him. But I don't know. I just like, I, I'd say a good solid, maybe 45% of the movie. He's unlikable. Like he's not, He's not as charming. He comes off as kind of sleazy or or douchey or and overly arrogant. We're like, you know, you know, Marty McFly and, and like you said, Alex P. Keaton, like they're they're snarky, but they're not douchey. You know, but even with the snark, I mean, we'll get into this as we get rolled through here. But like, even with the snark, like, I don't know, like. I kind of felt like he was like asleep at the wheel. In this. I feel like he usually has such charm and he's like such a presence. And like, I was just kind of like, like, I don't know. I just felt very forgettable of a role for him, for me personally, but let's dive into it. And that okay. way we can kind of dissect it as we, uh, as we get going. Sure. So uh, the very initial thought that I had on this movie was, wow, Washington Presbyterian hospital is a mess. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not a nice hospital to work at. And like everybody that worked there was pretty horrible. I mean, it's funny. Like it, it may be like anybody who does work in a hospital setting during like COVID would would like kick me in the head for what I'm about to say. But like, have you ever been in a, a real hospital in your life that ever resembles a movie hospital like this where it's like, there's just people absolutely everywhere. everywhere. And like, no matter like where you turn, there's like people like doing stuff out in the hallway. And like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's so funny because like, I, you know, I, I just don't think I've ever run into a hospital setting where it's been like that utterly overloaded, you know, without it being like a complete, like sort of like crisis moment or something. Like, like, like even the show of ER never looked that chaotic. <laughs> it was yeah. what, what was sort of interesting about it, and they do this a couple of times in the movie, they do it so almost if it's one take-ish sort of thing where the camera yeah. sort of follows as things happen. And that was cool. It was, you know, it was an interesting choice, but it was like it felt like I should have seen people like smoking cigarettes in that in the hospital. <laughs> like it just felt real gritty and the colors were very washed out. It was very flat. Um but yeah, it was like chaos. And he's just like popping into like Cut this guy open. Get this guy in surgery. Do this. Yeah. You man. Yeah. I'm great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it did crack me up because particularly, and, and again, this might be my own like lack of knowledge or, or not thinking about where does a, a plastic surgeon technically come from. But, you know, it, like in comparison to something like a, like a Dr. Strange just pops mm -hmm. into my head as like a recent thing, like where you have like this, like, you know, house MD sort of guy rolling through and he's like, the best of the best at that hospital and he knows what he's doing like but like he's like he's like a like a young doctor like he's probably only still just getting out of doing like some of his like basic like you know medical school rounds and things like that like they they said in the movie that he he goes into it later on where he's like i had eight years of school and like xyz years of residency i'm 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 two years out of residency or something like that or something so he's only right, so he's full-fledged but like i just don't know that he'd be like this complete professional right i don't know whatever uh, he makes a really stupid joke uh, <laughs> pretty early on in this where he walks in to the room where like these people are doing like a actual surgery presumably of something that's like you know, serious yeah serious maybe <laughs> and he's like 
Beverly Hills, most beautiful women in the world, plastic surgery, surgery. What do these things have to do with each other? Me in a week. And then like, <laughs> oh, they say it was a gunshot. I have it written here. It was a gunshot surgery. So like this guy is presumably like bleeding out, has like internal injuries and like no one laughs or acknowledges yeah. him whatsoever. And like, I was like, damn, this is like off to quite a start here. This kind of like set a tone for me early in the film where I was just like, am I supposed to laugh at that? Am I supposed to find that charming? Like, like even his coworkers are not reacting to him like at all. Like they all just like maintained like straight faces kept doing what they were doing. I thought it was a little bit of an odd, I don't know. I mean, I guess again, they're trying to like show that he's like this hotshot guy. What I would say is that as the movie progresses, like, he has a couple times where he's like all uppity and he's proven a little bit wrong, but really not mostly like most of the time he's pretty dead on with his yeah. stuff, but he's helping the people. So like, I don't know. It's just like, it just sets like a weird precedent for this character. What, by the way, what is that shirt he's wearing? When he first walked in, I thought his shirt was covered in blood stains, but it's just some weird wacky nineties. Yeah. It was a very shirt, <laughs> very nineties esque shirt. Um, what this whole sequence at the hospital sets the precedent for is to show that he's so arrogant that none of his peers like him. And like, he invites everybody out for drinks on his last day and everybody just blows him off. And like, there's only one colleague that kind of like puts him in his place. Like, bro, you're kind of a jerk. Like he uses more colorful language than that, but you know, (laughs) you get the point. Yeah, while they were eating their, excuse me, I'll have to bleep it, but whole cake. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I I guess the, the connotation there is they were saying, like, goodbye, A, you know what, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I guess. But I was just like, wow, well, that's quite a sight gag to throw in here. See, I thought that was boobs because he's becoming a plastic surgery. Was it? Was that what it was? I thought it was boobs, personally. I thought I saw something else in the middle. I don't know. Might have to go back and rewatch now (laughs) and see see which of the two it was, because I don't know now. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, another weird kind of thing is they kind of do a few times throughout this movie, like little things like that, that sort of like have like miniature versions of shock value, which I thought Mm -hmm. was also an interesting choice, kind of catches you unawares or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but as you said, his colleague has given him a lot of grief. He should practice real medicine, but he wants to do the plastic surgery for money and fame and, and whatever, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, I, I guess so. You know, I mean, it, I guess it's, it's a little cliche for this idea of like the Hollywood, uh, uh, plastic surgeon, you know? Um, so anyway, he hits the road and I have to point out one and only is a banger. <laughs> That's a great song. I tacked that to the, um, beginning of of last episode i don't know if you if you know this i switched a while back from doing the movie quotes at the beginning and end of the of the episodes to doing um like music from the movies or like that, that would movies. that would say that i listen to our podcast as we I know, that's, why I was like, that's why i'm not sure that you know the listeners know but i'm not sure that you know <laughs> i don't know um, i can only hear my voice so many times <laughs> yes yeah, so I, I threw that one on there and uh actually uh, one of our our listeners and another contributor to the retro network karen flieger uh picked up on that and, and tweeted us back that she still got her one and only um single which i i guess i'm assuming and i probably should have asked her beforehand is is the single 
from this movie because that's a that's a big old one hit wonder, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, uh, but it's it's a good song. I've like I've had it really it was really song. thoroughly jammed in my head now since. Uh, and what's interesting about that is like you hear it throughout the, the in the beginning of the movie, but then as it cuts to him stopping at the traffic, it they they fade it perfectly as if it's coming out of his radio. Uh which th- that there's actually a technique for that and it's called something and I thought of it at the time and now I forgot to look it up to say what but there's a term for that when you actually hear the song actually physically in the movie and not just playing as a track underneath. This is uh, Box Office 30 where we do not thoroughly research the things we talk about. Yes. <laughs> there's a thing, it's got a name. It's where it does this. I don't know what it's called, but that's it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I felt the need to look up his car. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but it was a pretty cool car. And he's like, this car is my life and everything. But it's a um, Porsche 356 Speedster. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I was like, just for those who are maybe interested, that's that's his car. And that I thought that was just a pretty slick looking car uh, that he just completely screws up over the course of, the, of this movie. And it's funny, I have to say, I was a little bit confused. Um, I mean, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll wait a second. I'll bring it up when it gets to it. But um, I, I had another wondering sort of thing at what was going on with that construction crew. Because I feel like he pulls up and it says something like construction for like 20 miles or something. Did mm-hmm. you catch that? Yes. But then like he sees like a gap and he like takes the off through- road. And then there's like nothing. Like the nothing. road is perfectly fine. Like there's nothing going on at all past it. It's like some weird roadblock that yeah. they... Uh, I don't know. It was, it was really weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's he's doing his road trip thing, and I'm thinking about Lightning McQueen driving with Mac, doing life as a highway, you know. And he's uh, he tries to pass a uh, like a big uh, truck like that, and he mm-hmm. misses the entrance uh, from the interstate. Uh, and then to put an addendum, because we first thought it was chickens, and then we thought it was cows. Is two women walking three cows. Yes. <laughs> Let's set the record straight on that, that these yeah. women were just like walking their cows in the middle of presumably a what could be a, a busy road coming off an interstate highway. It, it, it seems like it's either a back road or a one-way road or something, but they're just walking these big cows. And yes. I couldn't tell if they were actually part of the town that he goes into or they were just like, Amish folk. Yeah, I mean, they looked real Amish, but I think that they are part of of that particular town uh, because he obviously then crashes into a white picket fence that's being worked on by, uh, or at least overseen by the town police officer and who we soon find out is also the town judge. Yes. (laughs) And is also the guy from Home Alone. Yes, he is the guy from Home Alone. The snow shovel guy. Yes. (laughs) And he's got a much bigger role in this, but not by much. <laughs> no, yeah, not really. <laughs> what I found amazing about that whole sequence is, like, they have he has the accident and everything, right? The tow truck pulls up so fast. Yeah, like, like well, I think it's just a weird jump cut. Like, uh, I think they jumped for some reason, but it wasn't obvious because that did catch me unawares too. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe the the two guys in the tow truck just happened to be along or whatever. But I, I think it was just a weird time leap that they didn't really account for. I almost wonder if it's it's playing on a theme in this movie where they they constantly say like you know you can't fart in this town without everybody knowing about it. Essentially, sure, yeah. Well, that's a small town. I mean, like you know, <laughs> that's, that's Sag Harbor. Even 
and and so it's like you know maybe you know the town is so small and it's literally like a very small area um that maybe they heard the crash yeah, and they right? just jumped in the truck and came over you know they do have a great line in a little bit like once the mayor's showing him around where he's like oh i haven't seen all the town yet and he's like oh no you have <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, i thought that was really good anyway yeah. he's sentenced to um, 32 hours of community service um which is not you know I guess insignificant for for messing up a fence, but it seemed kind of an arbitrary. Yeah, I, well, it, <laughs> it, it started off as only sixteen hours, and then he this yeah he started off by just giving him sixteen hours of community service, which theoretically could be two days, yeah. barely. Yeah, no, and, two, two eight and, days. Well, I'm glad that you say that because the funny part was I thought that's what I heard, and then. It, as the movie was going on, and then I was he, like, God, he's still working there. I'm like, what happened at 16? But then I remembered there was a part where the guy said, like, I could make it 64 or something like that. But I must have missed the jump to 32 that occurred. Yeah, like he he kind of disputes him on the 16 and then he jumps it to 32. Yeah, and, then, and, and then. Why is it Yes. Slacker. Slacker, McFly. <laughs> oh man if he was the judge that would have been fantastic that would have been a great callback so here's another question for you i'm really unclear on what's actually wrong with this car i recognize that he crashed into a fence but i feel like that would be cosmetic damage so did they say what happened to it so he says his whole front end is messed up but then when the mechanic shows up, he says that he needs like a water pump or like an oil pump or something like that, which is in the back of the car. I'm like, what? <laughs> like he had all this front end damage from driving through this fence and down this like ravine that I'm like, but, but they don't reference that. And then later on, when you get to the garage, the whole car is gutted out underneath from the rear, of but the front end is fine. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't know. It was a little. It, it seemed yeah. weird. I mean, like I know that he's got to be there for the community service time anyway, but I thought it was like, yeah, okay, he needs a, a part or whatever. But it just seemed kind of random, um, given that it wasn't that bad a mm. yeah, accident. Yeah. So um, I was. <laughs> I'm not going to say how I wrote this in my note, but I was really wondering what in the heck was going on. Why was the mayor dressed up as a pumpkin or something? Obviously, as the movie progresses, I come to realize that he's dressed as a squash mm -hmm. because this town of Grady is the squash capital of the South. Yes. <laughs> but I was just like, the funny part was, I was really wondering what the heck was going on, if I had missed something or what, because you see him in that costume when he first meets him, and then eventually you see the mechanics like in like yeah. bee outfits, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, what? And so eventually it comes full circle later on. You find out, like, why they're in these costumes, which I'll, I'll touch now, back on. Now, now I, I want to actually point that out, right? So as you said, the mayor's in the squash suit. And he says that they're pre preparing for, like, the, 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 the squash festival of oh, the did town. Did he say that? Because, yes. like, the funny – I must have really been, like, half – I must have been, like, writing notes. And when I wrote notes, like, I just my ears stopped working because I think I missed – that explanation and i was like why is this guy in a squash outfit and why is nobody questioning him? yeah so apparently like this the squash festival is the big town festival they have every year and and they go into it much more later but what i thought was very interesting 
was how convenient the timing was <laughs> that he had this accident. He's stuck in this town and he's also there for the biggest event of the town <laughs> that would theoretically make him want to question his decisions. It, it just seemed very convenient. It's pretty funny. Yeah, this could almost be like a like Twilight Zone or did you just um did you guys watch that Schmigadoon that was on Apple TV? I watched the first episode. Yeah, I figured it's not your bag. Um it, it, <laughs> but it's like one of these sort of things where like somebody travels like they go off on the wrong road and they end up like in some like fantastical place where everything mm -hmm. happens to be working out like an exact Kind of felt a little like that at times. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Particularly yeah. when, like, you know, like, there's some really odd happenings in this town. There was and, a lot of convenient things. from a small town. I might not have come from, like, a down south small town, so maybe you guys down south do things differently. But, uh, you know, all right, we'll get to it. And, and including the, the three little old ladies living together, sitting under their rocking chairs with a blanket. And I was just like, this is the old people from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. <laughs> I was just I like... I want to talk about that, right? So they're sitting there under the blanket and they're like making what, like a friendship quilt, right? Yeah. And they literally say the person who falls asleep under the, the friendship quilt, they say will dream of the person they're going to fall in love with and marry. So... And then it immediately happens. Immediately. <laughs> immediately. And it's this girl, like the, the, the main, uh, you know, female protagonist of the movie, like, the, you know, the female lead. He's never even seen her before. He's never even <laughs> met her. How could she populate into his dream? It, and what's bizarro about that is he meets the same person, same moment next morning. like. This the, the yeah, it was an odd progression of. It's timing. a weird paradox of time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very. Which is it? Hamlet, where it's like the three witches that, like you know, bubble, bubble, toil, and trouble, or whatever. Like in the beginning, I was like, I was having these like weird jibe of like this like idea. You got like these like three like presumably like widowed women that are like at his house. Your his temporary house? Is it their house? Like, I don't know. Also, another question that never really truly gets answered. Well, you and, also, uh, you miss a part, right? So what happens is how he gets to this house, right? So first he's dropped off at the town hospital, which is basically like a it's big like a clinic. It's not even yeah. like a hospital. Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, like a clinic. And he meets the, the nurse, the attending nurse, who does not like him. And you know, he's like, well, who's the head doctor on? He's like, oh, you only call him if somebody's, you know, dying, bleeding out, this and that. Like, don't bother him ever unless he's unless you're in real dire trouble. And he's like, well, OK, well, I don't know what to do here. And she's like, where he's like, where do I sleep? And she basically sets him up like on a gurney in like the morgue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and that's when he, he meets the mayor. The mayor comes in and the mayor brings him to this like residence where he's going to stay like they're putting him up and happens to be with these three old ladies in there yeah but that's what i was still trying to figure out because like the ladies aren't there later so like yeah. i just don't understand do they live there does he just live there is it just an empty house for anybody to use i, don't I know, think whatever. it's i think it's an empty house and they just happen to be there because they prepared food for him and they're making him this blanket like they're trying to seduce this 
you know, new doctor to stay. Yeah, they were kind of like, yeah, like sort of, yeah, it was kind of creepy. They were like, they were trying to like kind of hit on him a bit. Well, the mayor even says one of them's horny, but I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? Okay. Uh, Anyway, as you were saying, he, they say this about the dream. He like basically knocks off like in the middle of them talking to him, has this dream of like this, um, naked woman and already like my first reaction is like wow they're showing quite a bit in that silhouette right there yeah. like you know like what's the rating of this program and then like you know next thing he wakes up it's a beautiful morning he goes down and sits by this river as you do mm-hmm. and next thing here comes this completely naked woman just out from under the water like okay i mean like what <laughs> like does she so, live there so, like why is she in the river naked <laughs> and this is the weird thing and presumably he just came and sat down next to her outfit which she puts back on <laughs> yeah so weirdly enough this movie is pg-13 and you've get two full frontal yeah full, full frontal and he drops the f-bomb three times in the movie i counted oh and I was like, wait a minute, how did this become PG-13? Like, I was, he was friends with the censor for this one. I guess so. <laughs> it was like, this slipped through the radar on, on the R rating there. And I, but it, I, it caught me by surprise, because what I thought this movie was going to be was one thing, and then the next thing I'm like, uh, oops, I guess. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah, this movie is not <laughs> that thing. But what's really interesting is, like, I saw this movie at home as a kid, with my parents on VC uh, on VHS because they rented it. It's a Michael J. Fox movie. It's PG thirteen. And then when I saw the boobs this time, I was like, I remember that moment from when I was a kid. And my mom was like, Oh God, look away! I was like, Oh, too late. I've seen too much. I've seen too much. So there nice. you go. <laughs> um, I think the mayor comes back to pick him up or he starts walking through the town again. I might have skipped certain portions of this film and uh, we get this insight that Grady is the um, squash capital of the South. And the only thing I can think to myself is it's feeling a little creepy how like overtly they are trying to court him to stay in the town. I think he ends up at like a a restaurant or something. Basically everybody in the restaurant is like, oh, you need to stay here. You need to stay here. Yeah. And like, you, know, so you guys have a doctor. And they're like, he's old or whatever, you know, like. So, so that's the funny thing. So like, there's one restaurant or like a town, let's call it a diner, essentially. And the mayor assembles like the chamber of commerce, like the entire, like, you know, trustees of the town. And they're like, oh, you know, to vote on a, on a, on a new you know, doctor and give him a new salary needs a unanimous vote. And like, they all vote I and one guy abstains and like, it's just, and they offered him like this wonky salary. He's like, Oh, well, it was like, they started out at, or something. And then no, it was it's less like 55. No, no, no. It started out as 25,000. And then he goes, what? He goes, oh, 30,000. And then and then one of the guy goes, we'll give you 35,000. That's like, oh, that's going to take a vote. And they all go, I <laughs> like he's like 35,000. That's what you're going <laughs> to offer me. He's like, I got $70,000 in student loans. Yeah. Well, I mean, in two years, he could be paid off. That's better than most modern doctors are doing, I guess. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I guess so. 
and 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 like nobody uses currency in this thing in this town everybody barters and trades yeah. like for anything <laughs> there's just there's no money being changed hands in this place at all well so so, so in that money conversation this caught me by surprise given what we've heard in the movie so far he points out that he actually has a job interview right not a job yeah so my my question then is why on earth would you take a road trip across the country for an interview i mean he must be pretty confident he's going to get the job which plays into his cockiness but like mm-hmm. that's a big road trip all the way there and assuming he doesn't get the job all the way back you know <laughs> like, well uh so we find out later in the movie and this is jumping way ahead but you don't have it in the notes so i'm going to say it sure. the doctor that he's going to interview with is from his hometown and is friends with his father yeah, but he also makes mention at that point in the film something along the lines of, like, I've interviewed a bunch of people or whatever. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I mean, I it guess was, it's pretty good, but it wasn't it like wasn't 100%. A sh- it, he even tells him it's not a sure thing. Like, yeah. it's no guarantee. We'll find out later why, and I'll, I'll bring that back up as we get there. But <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. So he, like, he quits his job in this hospital in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah, for an interview. move. <laughs> Um, so I, I made a note here and it's not the first time it happened, but they, the townspeople sort of have this like ongoing, like gotcha joke. Like they mm-hmm. do it at the beginning when he like, he's like, Oh, where's the engine in this car? And he's like, you don't even know how, like there's a few funny times where he like really flies off the handle at people. Like, yeah. like the guy's like, like, what are you doing to my car? Don't touch my car. Like, and it's just like, Whoa there, buddy, big energy, <laughs> bring it down. Um, and then the guy's like, Gotcha. You know, and like, then like the thing when the woman's like, oh, it's like $10. He's like $10 for a piece of like, toast and a coffee. <laughs> yeah. And it, she's like, gotcha. And so I wrote this note down like, oh, the townspeople have this ongoing gotcha joke. And then I don't think they ever did it again. The mayor did it later. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So they did their, their rule of thirds, I guess. <laughs> rule of threes. Um, so I, I have a note here. The naked woman is at his office because I don't have a name for her at this point in the movie. Yeah. I feel like this is another sin that this movie has where they give people names, but not for a while. Like I took a while for me to figure out what his, his name, name was, was Benjamin Stone. Yeah. And then it took me a while to figure out that her name was Lou. Yes. <laughs> well, so, um, the mayor tells him tomorrow you're going to meet Lou, the ambulance driver. But they just say Lou. They don't go into any other details, which I get. It's a small town. I must have really been checked out during this. One of my other notes is like, I have no idea what this woman's job is in this town because she's like around that office. I was like, oh, she must work there. She's the ambulance driver. She's not. Okay. Yeah. I must have missed. I mean, obviously I saw her driving that around, but I must have missed the part. I don't know. I must have. I was asleep at the wheel for this. The funny thing about the ambulance driver, though, is. Everybody just miraculously shows up at the hospital. Like she doesn't pick up anybody in the yeah, whole movie. It's just like the transport for him and her just driving around. They do like the yeah. rounds later in the thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, so he makes this, he's like flirting with her and he's being real sleazy. And he's like, I'm here to meet some guy named Lou who drives the ambulance. And he's being real, you know, cocky and douchey. And he comes off really gross and she's not having any of it. And then she reveals that she's Lou. She's the, the ambulance driver. And he's like, oh. And he feels kind of like 
stupid, <laughs> but but still tries to be sleazy. And it's it's strange. But what what I find interesting about Lou in this movie is she's not head over heels for him for most of the movie. I would say she downright doesn't like him for like a good half or more of the movie. Yeah. And one thing that I felt really good about this movie is like other movies we've watched, you know, the female lead, you know, falls in love and is gaga over the male lead. And they kind of like, you know, bend to the man. But in this movie, it sort of is the reverse. Like she changes him. And I I liked that. Well, they have this dynamic, and there's a ton of movies that do this, where there's essentially two, if he even has to have a love interest, there's two love interests. There's Lou, and then there's, like, random floozy whose name I don't remember. Bridget Fonda. And, and, and she's trying real hard to, like, get with him. Yeah. And that's, so, of course, as these things go, he has zero interest in her, which makes no sense for his character, who's like... Right total womanizer he's like i'm headed to hollywood because babes you know right. like and she's a like, total knockout and the like woman's she's the- no mind at all and yes she walked out of like a like a river naked in front of him okay so maybe that puts something into his head but like you've got this other one who's like trying real hard to to get together with him and he's like not giving her the time of day and i that drives me nuts in movies like this because i'm like what is it like the forbidden fruit thing? Is like that what the attraction is? Like it I must know. be, <laughs> must be. Especially too, because then like obviously like they do like the bombshell thing of like oh she has a little kid she got mm. you know you know preggers from some other guy and now she's here and like you know like a guy in his position young doctor looking for a one night stand goes with the floozy over like woman with child like. 99 out of yeah. 100 times. I was going to say 10 out of 10, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. It's just like, I guess, whatever. I just don't find that that relationship believable for so many reasons. Like, not only the fact... Like, like he's trying real hard yeah. for most of this movie to get together with Lou, and she very, like, fairly keeps reminding him that he's only there for, like, 36 hours of time. Yeah. And then he's leaving to California. He knows he's going to California. He's never coming back. Like, yeah. like, why would she be interested in him? So I don't know. It was, I guess it's just like the, the chase for him of, of trying to, to get her to crack. I don't know. It's kind of just like, eh. yeah, um, it, it, it does feel funny that like, you know, Bridget Fonda is, is very underused in this movie. And like, she clearly is drawn to him and she's like throwing herself at him constantly and she's the mayor's daughter, and she's not looking for any kind of serious thing. She just wants this sexy, hotshot doctor, and he ha- pays her no mind to the whole movie. It just, for that person's character, the change happens so quick <laughs> that you're just like, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't jive. But I, you know, whatever. It's movies. <laughs> but yes. Well, so spending some time at the clinic while he's doing his hours, I thought it, it just mentioned that some of the patients were pretty funny. Like, I actually, mm-hmm. I was really confused by it at first, but then I actually really liked the couple that like just comes and brings the letter for him to read because presumably like the town doctor is like the only like learned person who can read a letter or something. Mm-hmm. But then like the ongoing saga of like what's going on with like this couple with the letter throughout the rest of the movie was very funny. Yes. Um, and some of the other ones were 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 pretty good too. I like the uh, 
the lady who was having a hard time seeing and then he just like cleaned her glasses and <laughs> like she's like oh it's all better um but eventually he gets a kid that comes in who seems in like real distress and he's like really cranks into like full gear he's like all right this kid's having a cardiac you know um problem Episode or whatever, hospital yeah. um and and like you know she's like call the the actual town doctor and tell him like to get his butt down here because He's he's failing at his job and all this sort of thing. And then uh, the guy is like, oh, just give him like a bottle of Coke to fix it. And I was like, sure, why not? All right. You know, <laughs> but like, sure enough, that ends up being the cure for whatever was the actual yeah, issue. Like, like when, when the doctor like does sh- or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The doctor shows up and like he knows what's wrong with him. He, he asks him a question as if the audience knows what they're talking about with this like farmhouse something that he got into the dad's like i don't know who knows he's like oh he's got diarrhea give him some ginger ale or coke or whatever and i'm like last time i checked ginger ale or diet coke or whatever isn't gonna fix diarrhea (laughs) i don't know man i don't know if you remember back to the 90s ginger ale fixed everything it got a cold ginger ale got a (laughs) stomach problem ginger ale yes you know (laughs) i feel like people gave me ginger ale for any kind of ailment i had Uh, that's true but but like but like the kid's like turning blue he's got a heart I don't know. It's, yeah, what, what kid turns blue from diarrhea? I mean, like, there's something bizarre about that. I would have said, is he constipated? <laughs> Maybe that's probably a little better. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a note that I have in here. I don't remember the exact context, so maybe you'll remember it. But I just have a note that nobody says shit like Michael J. Fox. Yeah, he really- between this and Back to the Future, where he drops it so many times, it's like, man. That that is like he's the guy to go to if you need the S H I T word. Yeah, he nails it. Like, like, and and it's so like in his character that you just you hear that and you just know it's him every single time. Um, it's funny you pointed that out because I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> and you know, so I'm looking at Michael J. Fox's IMDb page. And I know we looked at it last time as well, but like. I think he did play a lot of roles as a douchey guy, like for love of or money. He's I mean, you of, could even argue that Marty McFly is. I mean, he's kind of like a cocky, you know, like full of himself sort of person, too. And, it, you know, kind of like the lesson he learns in like Back to the Future, too, is he needs to like get past his his ways with that. But like, I just don't think that he did it with the same gravitas humor yeah gravitas is a good word uh in this as he did in back to the future that might just be the script you know so because like you know love or money he's that way greedy he's that way uh what else is in the one that i saw that a couple other movies you know the hard way he's kind of douchey like that yeah i he plays a lot of douchey guys that kind of come around and become charming but i don't know if every single one hits the mark as well as it does with back to the future yeah. and it's i don't know it's it was interesting Who knows? so he goes over to check on his car as we mentioned already his car is totally pulled apart i don't really understand why except for humor i guess yeah <laughs> he goes to the town restaurant he meets uh bridget fonda's character um he meets woody harrelson um woody harrelson was a complete waste of a character in this movie yes they could have I, been I anybody understand the purpose of that character it's like all right it's like a guy who 
sells insurance to the same like seven people in this yeah. town or something like that. He dreams of going Granger. to California where he could sell earthquake insurance and then like if the big earthquake ever came, he just declare bankruptcy. All right, fine, whatever, you know, like, like it was just like, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm not really finding a lot of the humor, like outright laugh out loud, funny in this film. Yeah. Like, I'm just kind of like, Oh, <laughs> like, like a lot of like little things here and there, but for the most part, I'm just like, I don't know. And it just like, like Woody's character in particular, it's almost like there to create, like the character of somebody who would be vying for Lou's affections, but there's nothing redeeming about him either. Lou doesn't really care about him. He keeps claiming he's her boyfriend, but I don't think that's actually the case. No, they're you know, not. Like, like at least she, as Lou is concerned. She, she calls him her friend friend. Yeah. And like, he loves her, but she clearly doesn't love him. And she says it several times in the movie. Like, He's not really a threat when it comes to that capacity of the relationship. Um, I don't know. I, he just I, seemed I, like a waste of a character to me. Like you could have given his lines to basically anybody else at any point in the movie. Yeah. And it would have been fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, he gets a pig. Um, Delilah. I thought I it was like, I, I thought it was something, something like, like, that. like like Jupiter or something like that, or maybe um, from uh, the guy whose foot he helped heal earlier. He's, he's basically this, this guy's got like you know gangrene on his foot, and he kind of cures his gangrene. And... Well, I don't even think it was that. Like I think he just like put some like homemade poultice or something they yeah. say on it. It was just like, this like muddy crud that he has yeah. to like, get him like cleaned off so he can actually like you know heal his foot or whatever. But so the guy like doesn't want to be indebted to anybody, so he brings him a pig and it sets off this whole other chain reaction because he was gonna sell the pig to the butcher so instead he gives it to michael j fox he doesn't know what he's gonna do with the pig so he trades it to the car mechanic who he can't pay anybody in this town for parts or work like you said earlier he has to trade so he gives him the pig but then it turns out that lou's daughter likes the pig or likes pigs so then he has to go get the pig back from the butcher in order to do that he has to help at the butcher's shop <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's just like it's very convoluted <laughs> and, and Lou's a vegetarian and doesn't like the slaughter of animals oh we'll get back to that i don't really understand her but we'll get back i mean like i understand vegetarians in general but i don't understand her uh bizarre fema stuff that happens later in the movie <laughs> Um, uh, so I wrote here, the lady has a little girl. Oh, all right. Cause I still don't know her name's Lou. Yeah. So she has a little girl. All right. Surprise, I guess. <laughs> um, I wrote here, I'm not clear on what her role is. So we figured that out, I guess, by this point. So the problem that I had, okay. So, so Lou has a daughter, right? And normally in these kind of movies, right? Where the female lead has a child, like, they try to establish some sort of relationship where the male lead gets to know the little girl and like falls in love with the little girl as well as falls in love with the, the mother. And there's literally one split second moment where Michael J. Fox and Lou's daughter are in the same frame, let alone exchange dialogue. And the daughter literally says, when are you bringing the pig around again? And yeah. that's it. Like, yeah. 
he never really grows any connection to her that would say like you know this guy you know he's a young doctor he's a hotshot doctor he he falls in love with the mother but he doesn't even we don't even know if he likes kids let alone well, her no, kids and, and i have this in my notes here next where I, I i wrote down like in my stream of consciousness his interest in her is so desperate and forced yeah like it just like there's nothing that's like really like proving to us like why i mean like obviously throughout like the movie as it keeps going he starts finding out more personal details about her but it's not like a I don't know, it doesn't feel like a natural progression for how he's doing that. He's just like, come to the to the date with me. And so they go to like this dinner date. Uh, I guess it's like the mayor was throwing like a yes. house party. Like, I guess in his favor or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, like he's, he like basically like begs her to come. He, I think he brings the pig as like the way to like get her to come or something like that. No, he, he picks, he picks uh, state flowers that are illegal to be picked. Right, yeah, so she shuts him down on that. <laughs> on that again um but i don't know it it just feels very forced that he's so so forced because i think the other one was also happy to go with him and he like didn't even like acknowledge her again for that and again that's the mayor's daughter the other girl she's she's there and so is woody harrelson again we don't even know how he's related to the mayor or why he's there it doesn't make any sense why he's there yes that's, that's a little frustrating and then we get a series of vignettes um where he's walking his his pig around mm-hmm. the town because i guess what else is he gonna do with it now um and he has nice to pig. retain it for the little girl yeah and everybody oh nice pig that's what i that's what i hear but like the note that i attached with this is like so much of this movie is rinse and repeat with these jokes where it's mm-hmm. like, and again, I guess you could blame it on like, all right, well, it's a small town. So they all like, you know, have the same sense of humor or whatever sort of thing. But it was like with the, the same joke before, like, gotcha. Like it's the same thing again mm-hmm. now where they're just like, nice pig, nice pig, nice pig. And it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I don't know. I just feel like they could have been doing a little bit um, deeper or better writing um, for this, but whatever. Um, I do like that Lou's ambulance looks very much like the Ecto-1. Yes. <laughs> it sure does. It it's sure. just a few little modifications away from, from being the Ecto-1, which is funny because yeah. I think the Ecto-1 is supposed to be like a hearse. I think, um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, but like like their ambulance. Maybe it's an ambulance. Maybe it I was think, an ambulance. I think it's an ambulance. Yes. yes it's, it's uh, an ambulance. But uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, Lou and him are making house calls around the town. Again, it's 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 got some humorous points. You know, he they make a stop. And he's like, "Oh, you'd better stay here in, in the ambulance. These people are like a real serious case." And then he's just reading the letters mm-hmm. again for what whatever's going on with like that one family. Uh, so, then as soon as he gets back out to the car, she's like, "Oh, how's the uh, whatever?" Like that he was talking about in the letters. Yeah. So here's the funny thing. Now, ever since um, Team America: World Police, when <laughs> Whenever there is, this is about to go, but I'm I'm excited for it. <laughs> Whenever there's any sort of like you know silly romantic montage, in my brain is like, "Are oh, you ready for a montage?" That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of where I go every time. It doesn't care what the music is, what movie it is. All I hear is, "Are oh, you ready for a montage?" <laughs> you need a montage. Yeah. <laughs> So, you're oh, welcome for that. You're welcome. I just want to go watch that movie now. That's arguably a much funnier movie. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so so this is now circling back. So I don't remember why they're walking in the woods at this point, but she starts pointing out oh. to him that there's a series of deer hunting locations out in this section of the woods. So they're driving back from all of the house calls and she sees like red like rope tied on a tree, pulls the car over and starts tearing down the ropes. That- now, yeah. Now this seems really bizarre to me. And okay, like fair enough she's a vegetarian or whatever. But this is kind of taking it to like a like a freaky kind of level because like presumably in a town like this, these hunters aren't like sport hunters. These hunters are like hunting like venison and like yeah. making jerky in their backyard. You know, yeah. like like these are probably people that are relying on that for like their food source, given what we know about the type of people that live in this town. Yeah. So it, it, I was like, oh my God, her crazy level just went to 11 when she just like drops trow and just starts like peeing everywhere. And not only peeing everywhere, like she, like she goes a bit, stands up, moves 10 feet, goes like, and she's going everywhere and going, and going. And I was like, oh my God, what did this woman drink? Like two gallons of water or something before she was in this neck of the woods? Like it was the most bizarre sequence. And again, like, this and is she convinces these, him to do it. She convinces him to pee yeah, all over. But this is another one of these moments where I'm like, there's just like throwing shock value in for the sake of throwing shock. But like, this served no purpose for her or him. It didn't further their relationship in a meaningful way. It didn't really tell us anything more about her character. It's just another like, oh, let's have like boobs jump out of a river or have her just like pee on stuff. Like, it, is this what he was like really like seeking for? Like, you know, we we get this in you know this thing with him in the beginning. Like, oh, I, I want to like you know have like hot beaches and hot women and whatever, like out in California and be loaded with money. Like, was he really looking for some random woman who just like bathed nude in a river and then like pees on like hunters locations to scare deer? I don't know. It just seemed like a really bizarre choice to me. (laughs) So I don't know. Like, I I just wonder when you're writing, sitting down to write Doc Hollywood, where does this story come from? You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and again, like I know I mentioned this is based I think somewhat loosely on a book. And I I did find out that the book, and I mentioned the gentleman's name last time. I apologize. I don't have it in front of me again now is actually the real doc Hollywood. The the guy who wrote it is an MD and he apparently did like speaking engagements and whatever. And he wrote this book. So I don't know if it's based on his life events. And I don't know if this character is from that book. It says on IMDb, Screenwriter Neil B. Shulman worked at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, hence the name of the town Grady. There you go. Um, but so that's why I say I, I don't know if some of these things are like anecdotes that he tells in the book, and that's why it's there for in the film, because I don't think the film really follows him. Like I read it, funny thing is if you look up Doc Hollywood on Google. One of the first few results is like a 1991 review of it by like the something or other chronicle. Like they're mm-hmm. talking a bit about, they start the article off talking about him and the real Doc Hollywood versus what the movie mm-hmm. itself ultimately is. And I think they make a point that like the two things aren't really the same. So right. I don't know. Uh, it turns out she's also from a small town uh, or that he is, he's from a small town originally. Like she kind of starts um razzing him um 
about a big city guy or whatever. And he's like, no, I came from a town just like this, even smaller, 2000 full-time residents or something like that, you know, and, and, and like it kind of like sours her a little bit. Cause she's like, Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, like, it, you know, I had no idea. Why didn't you mention that? And he's like, well, it's just something people assume about me. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, nobody ever asked. And, and so, it's like, I wonder why, like when you're like, I'm big time doctor, I'm headed to Hollywood. It's like, I guess you would make that assumption. <laughs> so here's the funny thing. And, and this is what bothered me about this movie. This is what bothered me most of this movie is we only know this four to six day window of this guy's life. We find out over an hour into the movie that he did actually grow up in a small town. Then we find out in the last 10 minutes of the movie, the reason why he won't go back to the hometown is because his dad died when he was a kid. And, and it's like a blink and you miss it moment. Like why he's so unhappy with the small town. There was something specific to the death, wasn't it? It wasn't like necessarily, was it just, did he kill himself or I don't know something like that. It 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 it's it's not totally clear, but it seemed like the dad never left the town, never you know, just died there. Could have been a heart attack. Could have been who knows what. I don't we don't what they said. We yeah. don't know the specifics. They don't even say it. But like, it it seems like that's his motivation for why he became a doctor and why he left the small town. But it happens so late in the movie that we don't connect with it as an audience. Like we should have found that out in the first act or maybe the beginning of the second act to understand why he doesn't like the small town and why he wants to be a big city doctor. I also don't know if it's important. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that really, especially as you say, because it happens so late affects the way that we perceive or think about this character. Like, after he reveals that, are you, is he suddenly more likable? Is he suddenly more relatable? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think if we learned those two facts earlier in the movie, we'd understand his motivation better, why he's so hell-bent on getting to Hollywood and getting to be, like, this wealthy, hotshot doctor because we would have known that he grew up in a small town, his dad died for some sort of cause, who knows? We don't know. Let's say it was a heart attack. That may have been the reason why he becomes a doctor. And maybe he doesn't want to treat people that are dying. You know, maybe he wants to treat people that like they even say in the very beginning of the movie, his, his like frenemy in the hospital in Washington says, you know, the nice thing about becoming a surgeon is nobody dies or, or like from the plastic surgeon, nobody dies. And, I wonder if those t three pieces of information would have been better together and, and made more clear to understand where his head was in the movie and why he's a, a douchebag and why he wants to get to Hollywood and why he hates small towns and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it ultimately serves the character in the end for, like, spoiler alert, why he decides to actually come back, I guess, then a little right. bit. I mean, again, that it's still also questionable after he's like, you know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the the actual town doctor is having some kind of heart problem, heart attack, something along the lines. So he gets called in to go and actually help the guy. Um, and they kind of have it out, you know, um, 
helping him, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I even wrote more about it after that. Um, the town um, has its parade for the squash festival. I think As the I whole thing, so, all those costumes are making a lot yeah. more sense from earlier in the film. <laughs> so the, the, the big turn with regard to the, the other doctor having a heart attack and him saving him, he garners the respect of that town doctor and the head nurse of the hospital who to this point does not like him. And, and then now likes him. And we learn that the, the town doctor, the reason why he's here is like, he's delivered 700 babies. He's, you know, he knows everybody. He's walked them to their, you know, parents deaths. And, and we learn a lot more about that guy too, who to this point is just an old curmudgeon that, that, you know, nobody likes. Yeah. And, uh, it's another character where I felt I had a hard time caring about caring. Yeah. Caring about, because again, like you hear about him by name, his first introduction to you is like, unless you're dying, I don't want to hear from you. It's like, you know, like, and then you, he's only got maybe what I don't know, five minutes on screen. In the oh, movie? I'd, like, I'd, I'd say that's, and that's pushing it five minutes tops. Yeah. And again, like, you know, he's there to serve a function, which is to like, put some, you know, pump your brakes. Here's some humility. You know, you're not as good a doctor as you think you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though mostly it would seem to say otherwise. I mean, he does pretty darn good with the work that he's doing and he's good enough for this, you know, big time plastic surgeon to hire him and all this sort of thing. Right. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, Again, it just, the way that they, they have a large ensemble between all the different, town characters but like let me take this as a moment to compare it to something like cars like this is this is one of the things where like i feel like cars is the infinitely better movie for me out of the two is each of the the characters he meets in the town you know like a pair of uh mechanics (laughs) you know and like like you know like all these different like they all have like their own things but like there's so much more likable and like they're mm-hmm. much more i mean maybe that you could even say that they're like a little bit more cliched and stereotyped into their roles but there's more substance lightning kind of makes a unique connection to most of them at some point like like funny thing is that like re-watching cars this time there's a character that for some reason i had like totally either missed ignored forgotten which is red do you know who i'm talking about when i say red no. All right, so good. My point is made. Red is the town fire truck. Okay. And he doesn't talk like the whole movie. Hmm. And he starts off in the beginning that he's like really like upset and like, you know, like doesn't want to be around lightning because he like ruined like the the town, you know, whatever. And then like he gets his comeuppance because he like sprays him off later, like when he's cleaning him and all this sort of thing. And like by the end, like Red likes him. You know what right. I mean? And I was just like, even that character who never said a thing have more likability than some of the characters in Doc Hollywood did okay. for me. Fair. You know, and again, like, all right, Cars is a kid's movie. The characters need to be adorable and likable and whatever, right. you know? Yes. But, like, just the way they were written, like, the lines they come out with and everything, like, they just were much more endearing and more interesting, and I wanted to know more about them than any of the townspeople. Like, like even, the, like, like, let's say somebody is, like, you know, bombastic as, like, the mayor in this film. Like, 
I don't care about him at all because he's so over the top with like, hey, you just got here five seconds ago. You need to move here. You should live here now. You should be yeah. here. You're the best. And like, it's like, and like Michael J. Fox rightly says, like, you don't even know me. Yeah. Like, like, I could be like a murderer. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they, they put the full court press on him real quick. And it doesn't, it, it feels disingenuous. Disingenuous, another great word. <laughs> I, I'm pulling out word, Pete words tonight. For some yes, reason. but they're so right on for like exactly what I'm feeling in, in some of these cases. <laughs> and and it, it almost feels like in and so here's the thing. We get through the squash festival. And it's really fun. It's cute. They have carnival rides, the whole thing. We learn a little bit more about Woody Harrelson. who's like a hot shot, you know, rifleist for some reason, shooting all these things. But the mayor and Ben Stone have this like conversation as they're walking away from the festival. He says, oh, you know, put in a great festival, yada, yada, yada. And Ben Stone asks him, like, are you trying to manipulate me? Like, what are you trying to trick me? He's like, no, like, and, and the mayor's like, no, I would, I, I would, the last thing I'd ever do is try to lie to you and manipulate you. But I feel like the entire town is trying to manipulate this guy to stay. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like that's the case. And if he's not at least manipulating him, he's like pushing and pushing and pushing, yeah. you know, like kind of relentlessly. Um, there is a few things that's worth pointing out about this section of the film. So he calls up the doctor to tell them that he can't make his interview. I forget exactly what incited that, whether he thought his car wasn't still ready yet or if he was still trying to hang around for Lou. He was trying to hang around for Lou. It was, it was, he, he was, they had a, a moment and, and he didn't want to leave her. And Doc Hogue, hears him have this conversation and he can't get out of the interview. Yeah. And then uh, at the festival, the mechanics come by and they're like, oh, your car is totally fixed. And yeah, like, it is. Oh, oh, wow. OK. Like right after he made this call about not coming out there or whatever. And then the judge shows up and because he saved Doc Hogue, relieves him of his uh, yeah, you know, like, indentured like service. His obstacles are basically gone now, but he has like this like big overlong dance sequence with Lou. Like basically like they danced like the entirety of crazy pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Lou takes him out on a boat to see the fireworks. And they have this thing where like the fireworks scare fish because sure, why not? They <laughs> jumps into the boat and, and then like, that somehow tricks her into like, like getting on top of him and they make out or whatever, but they still can't get the deal done because she's well, still like, no, this is still, I don't want to be the one night stand, you know, like, you know, whatever. So like, there's nothing keeping him here at this point. Yeah. Um, he goes home. Well, hey, Woody Harrelson is just randomly there. Hold on. So they're on the boat and he asks her, are you sure you want to do this? And she goes, I've never wanted to do anything more, but I've never thought I would be a one night stand. And that makes him stop and not want to make her feel that way. And then she, they get off the boat. She drives him almost home and drops him off in the middle of the woods so that nobody can see (laughs) that they went home together. Yeah. And now we find Woody in the cottage. 
take it from yeah. there. Um, and I don't even really remember what he says to him outside of the fact that, like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I knew you were with her on the boat. That makes me real mad. And then again, like, as I mentioned earlier in the film, Michael J. Fox just again just goes to like 11, like, what are you going to do? Like, he grabs like a broom and he's like, it's like Woody House is just like standing there calmly no. talking to him. It's just like, it's but, like, whoa, whoa, take it down. Like, he, like, he, do, he does this, like, he takes the broom and smashes a lamp and. I almost wanted him to be like Michael Keaton in Batman. You want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. It is. It's exactly like that. But it, like, <laughs> like I don't know what the reason is. Like, you know, like you could argue if he was like really upset at having had like a fight or a fallout with Lou, he might be smashing stuff or whatever. And then this guy comes in and he's like the last straw. But I just didn't understand it. Again, it's one of these things where like the character just like leaps to like insaneness. Like maybe the reality of this movie is like Lou needs to avoid him. I think this guy might have a short fuse. <laughs> like, like here's the um, the sequel quest um, pitch on this. I think the sequel is like him and Lou in an abusive relationship yeah. down the road where he's feeling bad about himself because he never did his his big fame thing. He's just stuck in a small town still. And like, I would like just to know with a broom or something. Like, I, Jesus, like, where? what is this guy's problem? I did think about that, and I was like, I wonder what the sequel would be to this movie. What happens after this movie? And that would be very interesting. Now, here's the thing, right? So... As we mentioned, the the Neil Shulman, the writer of this movie, who is also a doctor, this theoretically is based on him, right? I wonder if these are moments in the real life story that really happened. They just didn't portray them as well. Either it was bad writing in the script on his part or just bad on the director for trying to make the scene seem like something else and not getting the point across. And this is one of the things that like you learn in film school is like, if you don't have a strong script, which is like the backbone of a story, your things are going to fall apart in the filmmaking and the editing. Like a movie is made three times, your script, your production, and then your post-production and those three things can oftentimes be different and turn out differently. And I think there are moments that may have been in the script that aren't in the final version or maybe vice versa, but that's where the problem is. This is a first time screenwriter that gets a Hollywood movie made with a bunch of well-known actors like that never happens. Well, again, this the screenwriter who adapts this has written other stuff. Matter of fact, I pointed out last time he had written something ghost, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I forget. One of the other big-time movies that we've taken a look at, um, the the real-life Doc Hollywood Doctor, this is like a 1980 book that he wrote. And again, I don't know if it's a work of fiction, a work of non-fiction, a work that's like loosely based on his life. Well, I just didn't spend the time to really so I'm looking at it right now. The guy that wrote the uh, or the person who wrote the adaptation of it uh, is Lorraine Leggett is what it says here. And there's nothing of note that is like well known. Uh, this is his 
th- this is the person's biggest written role, like a written, you know, adaptation or anything. Everything else is all TV movie, TV movie, TV movie, TV movie. There's only four of them. And then there's another writer on this movie, J- Jeffrey Price, who wrote uh, the screenplay. And that's the person who wrote Wild Wild West, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. I think that's who I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. So th- there's there's essentially there was three writers in this movie, and it seems like they played telephone. The kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm looking on the flip side about the book, and and from what I'm seeing here about the book is that outside of a, a few names, doctors, some basic plot points and things, it, it, it sounds like like the, the romance version of it is not in the book. Probably. Um, That's uh, probably so, yeah, shoehorned in at some point. Yeah, it's just it's just talking more about like a doctor out of his depth in a rural community. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like it's not necessarily um, a, a one-to-one sort of thing yeah. with this movie. Anyway, let's get back. So, so he. Sorry, that was that was a total digression on my yes. part. <laughs> my bad. I apologize. He um, he steals his own car and tries to sneak away from the town, which I thought was a a choice because I mean, the car's done. He he could just have his car back whenever right. he wants. And and uh, he breaks into the shop. He breaks it. So yeah, no, the, like he legitimately like does a B and E to get his car. And I'm right. just like, just ask the guys if you can have your car or whatever. Like theoretically, like now he's gonna owe the guy a broken window. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I guess he wants to get away in the middle of the night or whatever. He just like wants to tear out of there. Um, he passes the same couple who has been pregnant this whole time that he's been reading the mail for, and they are, um not so subtly um, on the side of the road about to give birth to their baby underneath a giant billboard for an airline sign. Like, you know, like I forget if it even just says something like fly to California or something (laughs) stupid like that on it. Um, And uh, he's helping them. He decides he was going to drive by them. He decides to stop and help them. And his car, uh, his car, which by the way, this was a question for me after having, watch the trailer because if you remember when we did the preview review they show the car getting totally wrecked like they do at the end of the movie here mm-hmm. in the beginning of the trailer like they don't necessarily show like that it's just like a little ding or whatever they show the car gets like smashed yeah um so this is where the car gets totally destroyed and he deserves it because why on earth would you park your car completely sideways across the entire road just like pull in off the road yeah. behind the- <laughs> that other couple there was like, plenty of places to move that yeah, car anywhere to put the car outside of like not even just like stopped in its lane in the middle of the road like straight up like blocking parallel road. yes <laughs> like, like actually it's like perpendicular to the lane <laughs> and of course the um carnival guys in their gigantic trucks happen to be falling asleep as they are leaving the town all of five minutes away yeah. and that guy was falling asleep right away. You should have taken a nap earlier in the day or something. It's not like he's been on the road for hours and hours, whatever. And so he smashes and utterly destroys that, that beautiful Porsche. Um, okay. Um, he delivers a baby girl. Um, he's got uh, more moments of people convincing him he should stay. Um, now, uh, for the more sentimental reasons, um, the, the baby, they're going to name her Benjamina. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that was a, that was a, that, that was a boo moment for me. But, like, 
but uh, like, Luke oh. surprises him with a ticket that the whole town got together and bought him to L.A., which is what he should have done in the beginning. Right. <laughs> like, why would he to, to go out there just for an interview? You're going to drive the whole country. You're not just going to, like, get on an airplane in Washington, D.C. Yeah. and fly there and be there yeah, five yeah. hours later. Washington, D.C. has this amazing thing called Dulles Airport. Get yeah. on a plane and go do your interview. <laughs> Um, so the whole town sees him off. He gets a police escort ride to the airport. Uh, he passes Lou, who's crying. She's very upset after having handed him the tickets. Um, I want to point out again, this has all been less than a week. (laughs) It's been about four days. Because remember, he only had to do 32 hours of community service. And the judge relieved him, I think, on day three. Yeah. (laughs) No less. So it's. It's essentially, you know, he's done 24 hours of community service, so it's at 72 hours of actual time in the town. Um, He gets to the airport and his cabbie was crying. Do you remember why this is? I I seem to not remember. There's some sort of um, uh, music playing in the car, and, and he's crying because of the music. Sure, why not? Um, okay, so my next question was, he gets to L.A., he he goes into that um, doctor's office, and I want to know why there's naked people on the glass behind. Because <laughs> it's Hollywood. And it's, you, you, know, you have it's, to remember right here and now that, because you might be tempted to think in 2021, like, oh, well, that's just like some like cool display, like LED screens. They no, have, like, that would have no been LED people. Screens. That would be people like pushing their bodies up against frosted glass all day long at this doctor's office. Why? Why would that be a thing? <laughs> like, it, it, it's like like something out of like a Madonna music video. Yeah. Utterly bizarre. And like, what do you pay four to five people to dance naked up against glass in your doctor's office all day? Like all day long. Yeah. Just bizarre. Just like I mean, I could see like that being like some artsy art prints behind the desk, but like to actually hit. I don't know. Very weird. Very weird. And of course, this whole office is weird, which I guess is the thing. Like they have to like set the. They have three very distinct settings in this film. You know, again, it goes back to like that um, hospital in the beginning, which is very dingy, very overcrowded, um, very dirty feeling. Then this wholesome little town, mm-hmm. and then like this like, again, just like larger than life Hollywood plastic surgery office where like yeah. naked people are pressed up against glass, and like the guy is doing like full-on golf swings in the middle not even the putt-putt like not even like that cliche like little putt-putt that you have in your office in the yeah. 90s like he's like fully like swinging like, a golf like club no idea where the ball's going <laughs> full strokes and he's like y- you golf right he's got uh, some like creepy like ponytail thing or whatever going yeah. on i don't know <laughs> um and uh he's talking him through his his job interview and he says that um hoag's the, the town doctor from Grady had called and suggested him for the job, gave him like a real um, plus on his, his resume for the job. So, of course, he gets it. Um, and he says, um, oh, no, I, I, have, I have a note here. I'm like, because some backwater doctor that nobody's ever heard of recommended yeah. him that he would give him the job over over everything else. Like, all yeah. right, sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> We're Perfect. coming in for a landing here. Um uh, he calls to listen to the weather forecast in Grady. 
This is again where I'm confused. Is that Lou's voice? Is that another job of Lou besides ambulance driver? Like that she does the weather or something? I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was Lou's voice or Bridget Fonda's voice. Or he just like got a kick out of hearing what the weather wasn't Grady. Like, yeah. again, very confused. No extra context. Maybe a deleted scene where like it's established that on the side she does the weather. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, he gets a note that a girl's going to meet him at the spa. He starts heading to this random spa. He sees that his car is back um, with of note. It's got a Grady something or other mechanic license cover on it yeah. now, I guess. It's just of note. And uh, oh, it's it's the blonde floozy. And, and her name is Nancy Lee. I'm not sure if this is the first time that they've said it, but it's the first time I've caught it that her name is, <laughs> is Nancy Lee. Uh, and surprise, Woody's here too. And it, you know, it's like a like a little uh, reunion uh, bait and switch because you think that Lou was going to be the one that that showed up, but of course it was the floozy who was right. like, "I got to get out of here and, and go out there." And of course it's Woody who is now with that girl, and they're going to be out here in California. And even though Woody is now, at least again according to him, like dating her, like she she takes another pass at at Benjamin, like, and she even says, "Like I thought I'd just give it one last try." So yeah. like. Yeah, that relationship's going to work out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and uh, and and back in Grady, he heads on back. Something about this tells him that he needs to, to go back, and, and he's back with the pig. No idea where the pig has been all this time. <laughs> no, he, g- he gave the pig back to the guy who gave it to him initially. And so now he went and took it back again? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he got the pig back. Like, what did he trade that guy back? <laughs> like, or the guy just has to give him the pig back? I don't know. Uh, and now he's the Grady doctor, I guess, because he likes Lou. Sure, why not? The end. Okay. <laughs> like, I, um, again, this is not a bad film. Um, so, I, I know we tore it apart. <laughs> I, I did enjoy it. I'd say the first half an hour, I, I was like, ooh, I'm not sure I'm going to like this movie. As it gets further on, I think I liked it a lot more because of the ensemble cast. Not him. I like. I liked Lou a lot. I liked the mayor a lot. I liked a lot of other people in the film, but I did not necessarily like Michael J. Fox's character. And you know, I think I also really liked Lou, who's played by uh, Julie uh, Warner, because she's in Tommy Boy, and Tommy Boy's great too. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, I think she's one of the better characters in the film. I mean, again, for me. It- I'm probably beating a dead horse because I probably said this earlier. It was fine. It was watchable. I wasn't like counting the minutes till it was over or anything like that. I did laugh at some points, you know, like I don't feel like the characters fully resonated for me or that like, you know, like there's times where certain things just felt like I didn't understand why things were the way they were. Some parts felt phoned in, but at the end of the day, like I'm like, if I were going to watch this versus any other, Michael J. Fox movie, I would I would absolutely watch any other Michael J. Fox movie. <laughs> like there's they're just they're just like it just wasn't very endearing for me. I just didn't love him in this role as I have Fair. In, Fair. In several others. Um and uh it just I don't know, it just didn't stick for me. Like I was I, I didn't know what to expect because obviously we got a a good fan response for this and so clearly it's endeared to several of our our listeners in their hearts so i'm sorry if i'm if i'm I'm crunching on your your movie here but um i I think this was a first watch for me i don't think i had seen this before and like 
it was fine. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm happy that this was the movie for the month. I, I think I would have much preferred watching this over over Freddy's Dead. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm probably not going to watch this again. I wouldn't necessarily like if somebody was like, "What's a Michael J. Fox movie to watch?" I wouldn't recommend this one again. I don't think to anybody. Fair, fair, okay, uh, that's fine. I, I agree. Listen, there are there are definitely better Michael J. Fox movies. That being said, I really do, and I thought I enjoyed it. I liked the the world. I I feel like there was a lot of plot holes and a lot of like missed things in it that I was like, what? Like, I wish I'd known more. Um, and again, I, I don't know if maybe the problem is Michael J. Fox wasn't the right person for this movie. Everybody else was pretty good, but I would have liked to, you know, and I think maybe from a 2021 lens, you know, we're very cynical now because everything has to be a world. Everything has to have some sort of through line, you know, suspension of disbelief. And like, they have these moments like the, the, the friendship quilt, like, you know, is this town like in, in a vortex of its own? (laughs) Is this quilt magical? Like we want all those things nowadays. And back then that wasn't a thing. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, Okay, I could see if this was told today, there could be like this fantastical story that goes along with it. And, you know, there's not. So, yeah, I mean, what I would think I would say too is like, I'm not looking for something like a lot deeper than this, but I just feel like, especially for like, all right, it's a fish out of water movie. Mm -hmm. And fish out of water movies can be a lot of fun. They can be very funny. I mean, even just something like more modern, like Wonder Woman, you know, like I think does such an excellent job of, of like doing the fish out of water sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the context of this is that you've got. You don't really have a fish out of water because you come to find out he knows towns like this. He grew yeah. up in a town like this, you know, so like all these things aren't really all that shocking to him, um, you know, so it's supposed to come off as more shocking to us as the viewer. But in the reality, like even as a viewer, like they're not really like selling like a really bananas, wacky southern town that people can't relate to. It's like it's a small town and there's like, you know, some like goofy eccentric people. But like they're not like something like to the next level where it's like, I don't know, I guess that's what it is for me. It just it just flounders between a few different things and never really commits, I feel like, to fair one thing all the way. Like it, it doesn't like go a hundred percent with the fish out of water humor or, or there on the flip side of that, it goes like too far on the other things like, like his relationship with her, you know, again, bringing this back to like something like with cars and, and again, forgive me for not remembering the name of the Porsche in, in cars that he slowly kind of forms a relationship with, but it's not forced. Like the two of them kind of start liking each other out of just like mutual admiration happening slowly over time. Mm-hmm. It's not where he's like hounding her like, hey, I, you know, I'm done paving the road. Let's go. Let's go do something. You know, like, you know, it, it doesn't follow that. It just kind of has like a more natural progression into them, like kind of like discovering that they like each other. And they both kind of don't belong mm-hmm. in this same town as like all these other people because they both sort of came from like a different background or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It just I just don't feel like all the stuff in this ended up being sold as well as I've seen it done in some other movies or stories or things like that throughout time, which I think is ultimately just the thing for me. Like it's fine. It just doesn't excel for me at, at some of the stuff that, that it's trying to do. And so therefore it just kind of ends up as like, just, you know, 
top of the the like all right fine pile <laughs> yeah it's yeah i get it oh, fair fair assessment <laughs> i i i accept your your viewpoint fair enough <laughs> that being said that is our review of doc hollywood but what i really want to talk about for the last end of our show here is next month <laughs> october of 1991 we've got the fisher king we've got deceive which i have no idea what's about but it's got goldie hawn in it we've got ricochet with denzel washington and we've got necessary roughness with scott bacula and sinbad dun 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 what a what a lineup folks <laughs> yeah there's some other good stuff um that we're gonna definitely have the ability to talk a bit about um once we get into it on our box office 30 next month but these will be our four um, voting choices for the next month here. Um, so as per usual, I'm going to try and post a poll. Um, hopefully I'll do it a little bit sooner this time. I kind of screwed up and did it fairly late in the game last month. So I'm going to try and post it a little bit earlier this month to let it run the full time, see if we can't get back to that like nice 75 people voting thing instead of like 23-ish or whatever it was. But again, thank you very much to the 23. Yes. Uh, no offense, but uh, it's awesome when we get <laughs> 75 it makes me feel very good about myself <laughs> pete needs an ego boost every now and again i feel loved <laughs> oh boy i almost wanted to be like let's just do straight head-to-head fisher king versus necessary roughness and just put it all on the line and see what happens <laughs> we could do that yeah i mean like you know you and uh, we had done the uh I forget what I called it, uh, critical review, something like that. But like uh, where I had you and Ange kind of pair off um, against the uh, the two movies. I don't know if I had prepared enough to do that here. <laughs> so maybe we'll 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 hash that out in the actual episode. But, okay, sounds um, fair. Um, uh, we might have the votes um, coming uh, by then. But uh, again, uh, I think there's some really good films here, and, and I'm a big Fisher King fan. Mike is a huge oh, roughness fan. We're kind of vying for which one's which. Uh, I will just say that Fisher King is number one and Necessary Roughness is number four. But I will just up. say, uh, <laughs> in, in, in the uh, hierarchy of sports-related comedies, <laughs> or, or sports-related films, I would say, you know, if Rudy is our number one, right? If Rudy's the greatest, <laughs> let's just say that, you know, and maybe the replacements might be number two. Necessary roughness for me is very close to three. That and like any given Sunday. So it's what about rookie of the year. <laughs> I, I'm just leaning That's into one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm leaning into football related ones at this moment. What we can get into because rookie of the year. Then we've got you know. All little baseball ones, like little Angels little big outfield. league angels yeah. in the outfield. That's a whole, that's going to be like a year of just those movies. I, I mentioned this a while back on this show, and I, I still swear we could do it. We could definitely make a go of just doing the '90s sports movies. Oh God, <laughs> we could be here forever. Oh man, that we don't have enough time in our lives to go through all those movies. <laughs> but yeah, so that's going to be exciting. I, I'm looking forward to October. I really want to see the golf ones like uh, Tin Cup and stuff like that. And, and Happy Gilmore? Come on. Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, man. Happy Gilmore. Oh, I love that. I, I, oh, I can't wait to get that. It's, only, it's a couple years away, but we're getting there. We're going to get there. Yep. You know um, So this was our review of uh, what movie we just did. 
<laughs> it's called Cars. It's by John Lasseter. Oh, okay, good, good. Yes, the prequel to Cars, Doc Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, if you liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, let us know too. We're curious. I, you know, what you found found about this movie. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And and check us out on our social medias. Uh, on the Twitters and the Facebook, it's Box Office Thirty Three Zero. On the Instagram, it's Box Office T H I R T Y. And also, if you want some merch, now that it's getting cold, maybe you want a Box Office Thirty hoodie. Go to our T Public store. You know, I could use a T uh, 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 a T Public Box Office Thirty hoodie that I may order for myself now that I just thought about it. Or maybe you need a face mask because you're back to normal life at some point and you're commuting like me on the train and seeing people and you're like, I don't have enough masks on my face. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I digress again. So, um, Pete, want to take us out since you did the notes for this one? Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you again to the Retro Network. Um, and thank you to everybody who keeps on listening and voting. We love you guys. Um, and we need that to promote is going to be it. Do we need to promote that website thing? That'd probably be a good idea. Yes. Um, just <laughs> as a, a reminder to folks. And again, um, uh, you'll have heard this in the beginning of the episode, but we are running a uh, promotion. The Retro Network is running a promotion. You can head on over to HalloweenCostumes.com and we have a promo code for 20% off of one item, one use per customer, valid through November 6th. Just use the promo code TRNHalloween2021. You can also find that over in our show notes and over on our website. So um, please do check that out great website um they've been a very good sponsor for the retro network um so go take a look they've got lots of great stuff costumes ugly halloween sweaters all sorts of stuff on there that that's really worth checking out yes definitely even if you're like me and doesn't like halloween they've got sweaters and stuff like that if you're going to a halloween party you don't wear a costume you can buy a you know a halloween scary sweater All right, that's it for us this week, folks. We will see you back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Didn't know if you were going to show anything. Nope. I got nothing else. (laughs) All right, bye, friends. Bye.